The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Here's something you will never want to hear. When God turns his back on a nation, he simply says, I'm done, save yourselves. We've seen one terrorist incident after another in the UK, the United States, and many Western nations. And people are wondering, whatever happened to divine protection? But the Bible teaches that in God's wisdom and in his love and mercy, he will lift his hand of protection from individuals and nations, hopefully to bring us to our senses so that we'll repent and return to the Almighty. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. A viewer wrote to me that as a new believer, she was desperately worried about the end times, what's going to happen, and how bad events will actually become. She wrote to me, I know everyone says we shouldn't be fearful and God will look after his own people. But even so, she said, I'm petrified. It worries me every second of every day. Well, perhaps some of you feel the same way. So is there any hope? Is there any good news for our troubled times? Yes, let me reassure everybody with Jesus' own words. He said, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. By faith, we have to receive his supernatural peace and pray Psalm 91, the Psalm of Protection, remembering also that the Lord is coming soon for his very own. Because 1 Thessalonians 5.9 declares, God did not appoint us to incur his wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And that word salvation also means deliverance. The coming of the Lord is every believer's blessed hope. And while we patiently await the coming of the Lord, we wonder where is God when terrorists assault soft targets and politicians and policemen fail to protect the public? As long as the world has existed, there have been questions about accidents and atrocities when wicked men seem to be prospering. In Luke 13, Jesus was informed that the Roman governor Pontius Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee, even as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. The Lord addressed such atrocities and also seemingly senseless tragedies, such as the collapse of a tower in Jerusalem, which killed 18 persons. Well, fast forward to the Twin Towers in New York City, and the thousands who were killed by terrorists on 9-11. Jesus remarked that in his day, the individuals who were killed by Pilate or by the tower's collapse were no more sinful than other people in his generation. But he warned all within his earshot, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
So how would Jesus' saying about repentance go down today with victims of murder? Or, for example, the people of Manchester, England, after a suicide bomber killed scores of innocent people in a stadium? Or what about victims of various stabbings in London? Or the families of the people who perished in New York's Twin Towers, many of whom jumped to their deaths from the skyscraper's windows? Does Jesus' warning apply also to them? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish? Well, after the Manchester massacre at a pop concert, an excellent article was published in Prophecy Today magazine by Dr. Clifford Denton. The article was headlined, The Protection of God. In the aftermath of the terrorist attack, many Christians were wondering, where is God? And Dr. Denton wrote that, The answer is not simple, but there has to be an answer. Jesus wasn't willing to compromise his message of repentance to a fallen world. And when victims suffer an untimely death, we're not supposed to assume that they're being punished for their sins, but rather we should consider such atrocities as wake-up calls to us all. This is because repentance is not something to put off until it's too late. Dr. Denton wrote that the protection of God is progressively disappearing from Britain. And without the help of God, no amount of police will remove a society's vulnerability. Dr. Denton wrote that he believes God is saying something like this. I have loved you as a nation, but you have rejected my laws and you have rejected my son. It was my intention in withdrawing my hand of protection that you should turn back to me once more to seek me in prayer and walk in my ways. God longs to restore his protection, but he cannot until the people turn to him in repentance. Well, amen. Whatever parties come to power, it's time for our nations to repent and return to God because no politician can save a country. Only God can. Perhaps our current crises are more serious than any other time in history. And as watchmen on the walls, as intercessors who stand in the gap, we have a great responsibility. After all, this time is our watch. But history bears record that every time societies deny the sacredness of marriage, they begin to unravel and to fall. No nation has ever remained great whenever traditional family values have been thrown out. That's just a solid fact of history, and only a revival, a great awakening, a return to biblical family values can save the West. Let's face it, the judgments of God and the wrath of God aren't popular subjects. Preachers tend to dish out happy, feel-good homilies. But we can't ignore that God is greatly displeased with the appalling apostasy in our Western nations. I've noticed that many serious preachers are now giving messages on Romans chapter 1 to explain the lawlessness and the breakdown in society. In that chapter, Paul skillfully outlined how a society degenerates to the point that God will have no choice but to abandon that society to wallow in the consequences of its own sins. In Romans 1.18, Paul wrote, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, foremost is the battle over what? Truth. And especially the suppression of truth. The word suppress here means to thwart and to hinder knowledge of the truth. And I've never seen such suppression of truth as is going on right now. Truth is being censored and truth is the core issue. When Paul refers to the wrath of God in Romans 1, he could be speaking of eschatological wrath, meaning the prophesied cumulative end time judgments of God. We wonder why the wicked seem to prosper, but God doesn't always immediately strike down the wicked. Rather, he allows his wrath to accumulate in the hopes that the wicked might repent. But nevertheless, his judgments are inevitable and will be released on Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord. Jesus prophesied about the end time judgments in his Olivet Discourse when he outlined the signs of his return. The book of Revelation also describes God's eschatological wrath, which will be involved in a series of progressive judgments and woes upon a world that will ultimately choose allegiance to the Antichrist rather than allegiance to God. In the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19, God's eschatological end time stored up wrath is poured out upon the earth. And those chapters describe God's accumulated wrath and the day of vengeance of our God that's being stored up for the unrepentant wicked. Romans chapter 1 also describes God's wrath as abandonment wrath. What do I mean by abandonment wrath? Well, the Apostle Paul describes it as when God turns a person or a nation over to the consequences of their own sins. Abandonment wrath is when God's hand of protection is lifted from an individual or from a nation, and they are left unprotected to their own devices. A biblical example of abandonment wrath is the account of the Bible strongman Samson, whose exploits are chronicled in the book of Judges. Long before Clark Kent, long before Spider-Man and Captain Courageous, Samson was the original Superman. He was set apart by God before he was born to do great things. And Samson was not a giant. He did truly possess supernatural strength, but not because of anything like science fiction's kryptonite or even Popeye's spinach. He was supernaturally endowed with strength by the Spirit of God. And he accomplished great exploits for God on behalf of Israel against their enemies, the Philistines. But tragically, as a result of the seductions of a con woman named Delilah, Samson broke faith with God and betrayed his consecration by revealing to her the secret of his strength. Delilah beguiled Samson into revealing that secret, which was his long hair, which had never been touched by a razor. He told her, I've been consecrated unto God under a Nazarite vow from my mother's womb. And if I am shaven, then my strength will go from me. And as he slept on her knees, Delilah had the seven locks of his hair shaved off. 
and thus she betrayed him. The strong man was turned into a weakling because the Spirit of God abandoned him. At first, when he was awakened, Samson didn't realize that the Lord's presence and power had departed. He didn't know until it was too late that his consecrated dreadlocks were shaven off, and then his ruthless enemies were able to overpower him. They gouged out his eyes, bound him in chains, and forced him miserably to grind at a prison mill. The Lord had to abandon Samson to bring him to his senses. And it wasn't until Samson repented and renewed his consecration to God that he was able to regain his strength to accomplish one last great exploit for God. Judges 16.30 tells the story of how the Philistines had brought Samson out of prison to make sport of him inside their pagan temple. And about 3,000 persons were watching on the rooftop. But Samson prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might, pushing apart the temple's two main pillars. And the house fell, killing all the people. So the number which Samson slew at his death were more than all the enemies he had conquered in his lifetime. However, not everybody has the presence of mind like Samson to repent. The truth is, many people are simply offended by truth. And not everybody is willing to be saved. Even though God is not willing, then any should perish. In fact, God desires for all to be saved and for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so let's turn back to our main text today, Romans chapter 1. And these verses describe the downward spiral of society. And three times we read the phrase, God abandoned them. This message is not for lightweights, but we need to know the whole counsel of God, including God's anger from heaven against wicked persons who suppress the truth. In Romans 1, Paul describes how through progressive sexual abominations, societies are abandoned by God, and he turns them over to degraded, reprobate minds. Verse 28 says, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God abandoned them and gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they ought not to do. I suggest you please take the time to read and study Romans chapter 1 for yourselves to see the degrading of a society step by step. And this is how a society behaves when it's left to its own wicked devices. The entire spectrum of immorality is accepted as normal and aggressively so, and even promoted amongst kindergartens to the detriment of children, parents, and believers. The Bible warns us that when a nation has been given the truth but rejects the truth, it will be abandoned by God, unless, of course, that nation repents and turns back to God. Well, that's the pattern we see over and over again in the Bible. In the book of Judges, the people were in covenant relationship with God. They had received his moral laws and precepts, but they continually abandoned the one true God and did what was right in their own eyes and joined themselves to idols. Consequently, 
God sent judgments and abandoned them to their enemies. And then in their pain and suffering, the people cried out to God for deliverance. And then he faithfully sent deliverers and rescued them time and time again. So God will abandon societies to their own choices and the consequences of those choices, resulting in vile sicknesses and national security being compromised. God simply will no longer restrain a nation's enemies when a nation forgets God. In the King James Bible, three times in Romans chapter 1, we hear the phrase, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Sin is the reason that God gives anybody over to reap the consequences of what they've sown. He gives them over. In other words, God abandons lawless people to their pornographic culture or to the unspeakable crimes of pedophilia or to mass murderers through wholesale abortion, to defiling the land with innocent blood. These are signs that a society has been given over, abandoned by God to their own degrading passions, falling further and further into the gutters of perversion, unnatural affection, sodomy, the destruction of God-ordained marriage, the rejection of traditional family life, violence against the sanctity of the family and the family altar. And when a society has been given over, it becomes rife with venereal diseases, soaring health costs, assaults on free speech, and assaults on freedom of religion, and in general, a growing insanity, derangement. You see, when God abandons a nation, people are no longer capable of thinking clearly using basic common sense. And every hour there's a new attack on religious liberty and free speech because darkened minds hate truth. For example, the assault on the Word of God and on biblical creationism have a sinister agenda. Depending upon his audience, Paul used both the Hebrew Scriptures and the wonders of creation to preach the gospel. But what happens when these reference points are removed? Interesting that our rebellious society is determined to remove both the Bible and creation science from the marketplace of ideas. Instead, the Bible and the belief in creation science have been replaced with the religion of evolution. But the evolution lie is a narrative devoid of a creator. It's devoid of moral authority. Everything just happens by chance. Therefore, the theory of evolution makes no provision for the Savior. Certainly, there is no provision for the belief in the second coming of Jesus to bring a thousand years of righteous peace to this needy planet. You see, in the world of evolution, there's no salvation, no deliverance, no hope, no second coming. By suppressing the Bible and creation science, law centers have no reference points concerning morality and truth. So Paul wrote in Romans 1.21, even though they knew God, they didn't honor God and they didn't give thanks to God, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Doesn't that perfectly describe many of the ungrateful Western minds today? They refuse to honor God and they don't give him thanks. 
You see, to honor God would mean society would have to become accountable to God. To acknowledge God would mean that our nations would have to acknowledge the Ten Commandments rather than trashing the Ten Commandments. Verse 22 of Romans 1 packs a powerful punch. Paul continued, professing to be wise, they became fools. In my studies, I discovered that the Greek word for fools here in this verse, according to the Strong's Concordance, is the word morus, Strong's 3474, from which we get the word moron. How precise. Tragically, the West is full of morons who were puffed up with folly, moronic pundits, news anchors, politicians, Hollywood stars, rock stars, moronic clergymen, university professors, all professing themselves to be wise. But when they turn from God, the Bible says, they become fools, morons. And he who sits in the heavens laughs, Psalm 2 says, and holds them in derision. Because, as Romans 1.25 points out, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Bible commentaries note that Paul quickly added a doxology, praising God here, because he was too shocked and embarrassed even to talk about God in the same sentence as all the debauchery he described. And so the apostle turned aside for a moment to give humble adoration to God, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's so Jewish. Praise God. You see, in Hebraic culture, it's common whenever God is mentioned to add a blessing. The Jews continue this practice to this day, and it's a beautiful, reverent practice to learn. And this practice applies not just to the Almighty, but also to revered persons. If, for example, a deceased parent or some rabbi or venerable personage is mentioned, the Jewish people will be careful to add the phrase of blessed memory or some other appropriate blessing. According to the Hebrew for Christians website, in Deuteronomy 8.10, we read, And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is because whenever the people of God derive benefit or enjoyment from something, they are duty-bound to bless, to thank God for his goodness. Jewish tradition says that if a person eats or drinks without saying a blessing, it's like stealing from God. In fact, the sages believe a practicing Jew should say at least 100 blessings a day, since the Hebrew term for gratitude is hakarat tovah, a phrase that means recognizing the good. So it's good to be aware always of God's presence in the little things of life, to be aware of the small miracles and glories that he causes to constantly surround us. And the good eye of faith sees hundreds of reasons to bless God every hour, every day. But on the other hand, the faithless and lazy are blind to all the little favors and goodnesses of God. So we have to open our eyes to see the Lord enthroned among the praises and blessings of his people, as Psalm 22, verse 3 says. We do bless the Lord that his word speaks into our struggles as we walk with him in this life and his word encourages us to trust him, regardless of how we feel. Meanwhile, our nations are in trouble. We see the signs all around of God's hand lifting off. But in chapter one of the book of Proverbs, God's principles of abandonment are repeated. 
I want to point that out to you. It says, wisdom declares, you ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disasters overtakes you. Likewise, Psalm 8111, the Lord laments, my people didn't listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So, and here's the same language of Romans chapter one. God said, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. So there's that judicial phrase again. God gave them over. In other words, he abandoned them. But hang on. Verse 13 of Psalm 81. Good news. It's the cry of our compassionate father's heart. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Then I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. And that's the word of the Lord, not only for Israel, but for the United States, for the United Kingdom and the former Christian European countries. There can be hope. God is saying to all nations that have known God, if we will truly humble ourselves, repent and turn from our wicked ways, he will quickly subdue our enemies who hate us so much. And that's the same message of hope that we find so comforting in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, which promises, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If we will honestly do these things, humble ourselves, pray, seek the Lord's face, turn from our wicked ways, God promises that his healing hand of protection will return and it will be greater than any iron dome. The iron dome is Israel's highly technological air defense system to intercept incoming rockets. But to be under the Lord's wing, under the Lord's hand of protection, is the greatest place of safety for any nation. Meanwhile, the second coming is, in fact, our greatest blessed hope. But until then, the only thing we can do to save ourselves is national revival. We believe in the revival because revival is our only hope other than the blessed hope, the soon return of our Lord. And because the days are full of evil, we also don't know what tomorrow will bring. So it's important that I urge you right now, before it's too late, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, Yeshua, the world's only Messiah, while you're still capable of receiving him. The Bible promises that all who put their trust in the Savior will never be ashamed and will be eternally secure. We earnestly pray that millions of souls might turn back to God while there's still yet some time. We ask the Lord's forgiveness for our sins individually and nationally. We pray if the Lord must bring judgment, that he would remember mercy. And despite the perilous times we're living in, which can be so vexing, remember, because the Lord lives and is coming back soon, we can face today and we can face tomorrow. We can face anything with his help and strength. Amen. Let's be salt. Let's be light. We pray that God's spirit might move powerfully in our midst one more time. And should the Lord tarry, we can stay in touch through social media 
And there's much to share with you through our website at exploits.tv, where you can always click online to receive our electronic newsletter. And at our website, all of our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock, as well as our archive of spiritual articles on end-time topics. And you can also upload our free app to view and listen to our programs on your mobile devices and tablets. Meanwhile, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darek. Shalom and Maranatha. When you visit the Jerusalem Channel website, you can watch all our videos with closed caption subtitles. Select the closed caption logo at the bottom right corner of the video screen and select English. Jerusalem Channel Facebook page, you can select closed captions in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic. The Jerusalem Channel YouTube site has closed captions in English.